Shooters, welcome back or welcome in to another episode of the Shooters Touch podcast where we continue to try to grow this game of basketball in the state of Iowa one story at a time. And today we bring on Justin Wick and he is the head men's basketball coach up at Minnesota Duluth and he's got a fun story. He's originally uh, from the Iowa City area, grew up in North Liberty and went to Iowa City West. He was part of that powerhouse there at Iowa City West. Um, went up and did a couple years at Kirkwood before living out his lifelong dream of being a Hawkeye in Iowa City. Uh, it was fun to catch up with him, fun to hear his story along the way and uh, learn how he got to where he's at and what he continues to do um, and grow that program and continue to take over the D2 level. So we hope you enjoy this one. A lot of nuggets for you. As always, shoot or shoot. I was getting, I was getting a lot of no letters, and I kept some of the letters because it was like motivation for me. I was young in my coaching career. I did know that those guys I was coaching, this was their one opportunity. Did you really want the players to like you? Just make them better. If I want to keep playing this game, you know, as a job, I, I have to continue to get better at that. You have to figure out a way to carve out some value that you have that you can bring not only to your team but also your profession. It's really good information and I pick up little nuggets all the time. For me it's all about confidence man. You have to have confidence to be a shooter, to be uh, a basketball player in general and to have success. So you, it's all about confidence. If they walk a mile in my shoes then they can bow like I do but my game different not the same with it. I travel now y'all just change pivot. Coach Wick, welcome to the Shooter's Touch. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is awesome. Appreciate it. We're excited to get your story, Coach, and learn a little bit more about you. Uh, what's so? How are things going up in Duluth? Um, basketball removed. It's got to be spring into summer. Has got to be a, a lot more fun in Duluth than, uh, <laughs> than winter, is right? There's no doubt about that. May through September is definitely the time to visit. Uh, luckily, we play basketball most of you know most of the rest of the time, so we can play inside. Uh, we got some crazy hockey players up here that play outside. We're we're in hockey country a little bit, but uh, yeah, it's awesome. It's a great place to visit. Lake Superior, North Shore. Um, I'd never been here before. I got the job here, other than to play a couple games. So. Um, it re reminds me a lot of being in, being in, 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 in Iowa city where I grew up, uh, very similar towns, uh, except for we're on Lake Superior. So, uh, if you ever get a chance to vacation up here, the North shore, um, up, up Lake Superior is, is, is just amazing. Yeah. I've heard, uh, definitely heard good things about it, especially in the summer months. Um, like you said, I know, uh, was, uh, particular on, on the golf side, a lot of those Arizona people will go up North, uh, North yeah. Minnesota, uh, to get away from the heat and, yeah, you know, us uh, Minnesota people go to Arizona. I was down there in March, so it's a two-way street, no doubt about that. Yeah, so um, so how are things at home? Uh, I know you got three kids running around, got to be got to be keeping you busy, but uh, overall, you guys involved in, I know you're getting there, your oldest is 10, so I'm, I, yeah. I assume getting involved in activities and sports and running all over the place here. Yeah, it's, one of, it's, it's honestly one of the great uh, balances about Division II basketball, quite honestly. Um, super competitive uh our jobs are super um you know super competitive obviously but also some downtime to be able to do some other things in life and as our kids get older uh, i coach my son's baseball team we've got two games a week during the week from last week through august um 
probably eight or nine different weekends. We're going to travel and, and do some different stuff as well. So um, the summertime uh, is a great balance. We, we'll still recruit and do some camps and that stuff, but um, it's one of the benefits of, you know, I think coaching at this level is being able to have a, have a really good home uh, work balance for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, heard that from a number of people um, in that, yeah. uh, you know, in that realm too. So there's a, you know, the balance is good and you know having that, um, you know, I guess mindset around that, around that area is, is a good thing too, I think too. So, um, well, coach, let's go way back. Um, yeah. uh, let's talk a little bit about childhood. You know, uh, you mentioned uh, you, uh, you are um, originally from the Iowa city area, but tell our listeners, give our listeners a little bit of insight about uh, childhood growing up um, elementary school, middle school. Yeah, I grew up in North Liberty. Uh, I was one of the original North Libertyans. Now it's about ten times as big as it was back then. I was just going to uh, ask that. Yeah, it wasn't. It, it wasn't like it is now, no doubt. But uh, yeah, I went to Penn. You know, Penn Elementary. It's still there. It's still rocking and rolling. So um, my parents still live there, uh, and my and my sister still lives there uh, in that area. So uh, we get back quite often, obviously. But um, yeah, I just grew up playing a lot of different sports. Um, basically, you know, mainly basketball and baseball, but. Um, you know, just had a, had a really, um, solid base. Both my mom and dad played, uh, played basketball, uh, in, in high school and college. So, um, they taught me a lot at an early age, um, in Iowa city, I went to Iowa city West. This was way before Liberty high school was there. So, um, you know, I had to make that long drive into West, but, uh, played for Steve Bergman, who's still coaching there, obviously. And, uh, one of the best coaches of all time, uh, you know, high school coaches of all time. So, um, learned a lot about basketball. He really pushes guys to be, uh, you know, to be better on both ends of the floor. I think you, I think I really learned my competitiveness um, as, as you get into high school. Um, you've got, you, you've got to compete every day, you know, playing for Bergie. So uh, he kind of helped, um, you know, help shape that mindset a little bit. So uh, yeah, had, had a great uh, high school experience. Obviously the wins and losses are fun, but um, play for some really good coaches. And, and you look at, uh, baseball and basketball coaches there at Iowa City West. Both those guys are still still there doing it. Um, and Coach Stumpf and Coach Bergman. And, you know, you're talking, uh, I, I don't want to date myself, but you're talking 20 years ago. And it, it definitely wasn't their first year back, you know, back then either. So uh, those guys are both Hall of Fame coaches. So um, X's and O stuff is good, but just um, how they develop you um, from, from, from a personal standpoint, those relationships are still strong. Talked to Coach Bergman just a couple of days ago on the phone, so um, I feel fortunate uh, to play to play for those guys. Um, you know, through my through my high school career. That's awesome, and you don't have to worry about uh, you don't you don't have to worry about um I'm sure dating yourself. We do that all the time on here. So <laughs> all good. Um, and so let's go. Um, you know, uh, in in enemy childhood, you know, you mentioned that you know mom and dad uh, each played basketball, high school and college. What um. What created, um, you know, your your uh, head inspiration, you know, in the basketball realm? You know, was that was that watching NBA games? Was that going to a lot of high school games? How did that how did that kind of grow, uh, you know, from within? Yeah, I think living in Iowa City, it's kind of twofold. Um, you know, everybody back then, were, you know, were Chicago Bulls fans, but especially being in Iowa, all those games were on TV. So you grow you grew up watching um, watching that, you know, watching those teams play, especially you know Michael Jordan's team. So. From a professional standpoint, that, but I think probably more than anything, living in Iowa City, uh, you're a Hawkeye, right? And you go to, you know, we went to almost all the games uh, growing up. If not, you watch them on TV. Uh, back in the day with VCRs, I would record the games and, and watch them over and over again, my parents say. So, like, when you grow up in Iowa City, you're talking um, some big-time players uh, back in the day. 
Um, and when you grow up, when, when you grow up in the state, but especially in Iowa city, um, that's kind of like the, that's kind of like the NBA team, right? Like we don't, you know, you don't have pro sports there. Um, the Hawkeyes are, are the main show. So going to football, but especially basketball games there, um, really grew that love. And that's where I always wanted to play. And I, and I, I was fortunate enough to get a chance to walk on and play there. Um, but even before that, that, you know, that was always a dream, right? So to be able to kind of live that out as I got older was awesome. But um, yeah, you're kind of immersed in that high school, um, you know, the high school culture a little bit, but being in a college town, you, you kind of see what the big time is like. And especially when you're in Iowa City, uh, you get a chance to see some pretty good basketball, um, um, you know, come through that arena. Yeah, a couple of good things there. You know, uh, we obviously grew up at around the same time. And, yeah. you know, those Bulls games on Sundays afternoons yeah. were just, you know, every Sunday, it seemed like, you know, you're, yeah. you're watching the Bulls. And at least in, in my mind, I remember them. It, it seemed like they played the, they played the Knicks every weekend. Uh, <laughs> and it yeah. was always it was always a great game. So that's fine. Um, yeah. And number two, you know, it's 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 good to grow up. Um, or it was a good thing to grow up closer to, you know, Iowa city where you, where you have that opportunity to see some big time basketball, like you said, you know, comparatively to, you know, smaller towns where maybe you have to drive a long ways to yeah. see a college team or something like that. But, um, how about, how about, uh, you know, where you, where you actually grew up, you know, your friends growing up, you know, was there a certain spot y'all met, um, you know, at a every Saturday afternoon to play hoops or, or, or even play baseball, football, um, or somebody's house. What did that look like? Yeah, we were fortunate. We had a really good group of of of, of, of friends. Looking back, um, I think our driveway um, at my house was was kind of the main spot. We always had the hoop. Back in the day, they didn't they don't make them like they do now. Um, those things got bent about once a year and, and, and had to replace those rims. But uh, my son is fortunate now. We've got the big uh, gorilla hoop out there. He can hang on that thing all day long. But um, everybody our age knows that feeling where you get a new hoop and about uh, two months later, that thing's bent already. So uh, we had some great battles there, uh, me and my friends um, on the court, you know, in North Liberty. This is way back in the day. They used, I don't, you know, I'm kind of dating myself again, but uh, there used to be a huge um, sod farm behind our house. So you're talking um, you know, I don't, I don't even know, 500,000 yards worth of just open grass. Right. And it was, it was awesome grass. So we would play out there all day long, football, baseball, every game you could possibly think of. Uh, you could hit golf balls forever. Uh, it was just right next to Quail Creek golf course there, but it used to just be in a wide open grass field. Right. And it's, it sounds weird now because there's so many houses there, but, um, that's what it was back in, uh, back in the, you know, mid late nineties. So being able to have that space, um, was awesome, but obviously we had our basketball courts there as well, uh, you know, in our driveway. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of Epic games, uh, me and my friends, me and my parents, um, my dad could give me a run for my money. Uh, my mom will tell a story. One time we tried to play one-on-one, -on -one. Uh, she thinks I tripped her. We we're not quite sure what happened, but ended up in the ER with some dental work and you can just imagine, right? So, oh, no. uh, that's when I was back in high school. So, um, some really, uh, some really fun games, but also some really good memories there with my, with my friends and, and, and with my family. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely different types of memories, you know, with those, with those guys or girls, you know, you grew up with playing, um, elementary, middle school, high school and stuff like that. Um, okay. So you, you mentioned basketball and baseball, um, any other sports that you were playing or was it, you know, Hey, I'm concentrating basketball and baseball. Yeah. You know, I always wanted to play football. Um, when I went to junior, you know, I played flag football and stuff growing up, but, uh, when I got to junior high, Northwest junior high there in Corville, um, 
told the coaches I wanted to play quarterback and they told me, no, we already have a quarterback. And I didn't have, I, I didn't have any interest in, in, uh, in really yeah. getting hit. So I uh, didn't even make it to the first practice that year. I never played anything else. I, you know, I played golf and mess around with some other stuff on the side, but um, from a competitive standpoint, yeah, it's just been basketball and baseball. And that was back, you know, really before the AAU basketball, you know, is what it is today. Um, there was one AU team in the state, Martin brothers, you had to be one of the top nine or 10 guys in the state to play. Um, and with summer high school baseball in Iowa, so, you know, so I, I, so I never played travel ball. We played basketball from, you know, really September through March. Um, and then you roll right into baseball, you know, he makes a little bit of basketball, you know, high school stuff in the summer, but, um, you know, I wish more places would play, um, summer baseball, especially up North here. You see what some of these kids go through now up in, you know, I've lived in South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota. You can imagine what some of these spring seasons are like. And the state of Iowa is the only state that plays summer high school baseball. So, um, you know, I'm going through it now as I start to get older and some of our friends have kids that are, you know, that are about that age and they're, you know, they're playing eight, nine, 10 games some years, um, you know, from a regular season standpoint because of the weather. So um, our college team here at UMD didn't even uh, play a game on, on our home field all year long, you know? So um, it's just, you know, I wish some of these uh, states up North would make that change a little bit. So I feel fortunate. I love playing baseball in the summer. I was probably, I honestly probably more of a baseball guy than basketball guy through high school. Um, you know, I just love it so much. I, uh, I, I enjoy, I enjoy playing. I enjoy coaching it now, uh, with my kids. Um, yeah. So really just played those two sports and, uh, really love my, my high school experience. Yeah, that's really great. Um, so you talked about, so Penn elementary is obviously on Penn <laughs> Ave, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. and then, uh, did, could you choose then where you go? Cause I know, cause does that actually, uh, feed into Clear Creek Manor or how does that work? Uh, I don't know now. Back then it didn't. So Penn was all um, Iowa City School District, or and I think most of North Liberty was at that time. Um, you know, really, there wasn't people that really didn't live. Uh, it must it must be people didn't live west of ever of Forever Green Road back there, right? Like there weren't houses back there like there is now. So uh, everybody went to Penn. Uh, Everybody's in the Iowa City School District back then. Um, so yeah, Penn Elementary right into Northwest and West High and. Uh, nowadays there's so many other different options but yeah no open enrollment that's just where we went it was a it was a hour bus ride by the time we got through the bus stops and everything to get to school for sure um, by the time we got to northwest but uh yeah okay. love living there it was awesome um we moved we moved um within north liberty when i was about fifth or sixth grade into a different house and uh but be able to stay in that district and um yeah just had some really good sports memories for sure north uh north liberty is one of those communities that i remember being like one of the first places that I just really know is townhomes. Like I'm like, dang, there's a lot yeah. of townhomes. You know what I mean? Like now yeah. it's like we see townhomes a lot, but you know, this is 10 years ago. It's like you go through North Liberty and it's just like because they were growing so fast, it seemed to make sense. But I'm like, man, there's a lot of townhomes here. And yeah. so uh, yeah. but and now I go through there, of course it's every probably three years and there's a new strip mall, there's new development. It's just crazy on how much that place has grown. Yeah, my parents my parents live out on the Coral Reservoir, so I got to drive through North Liberty now. Uh, they okay. moved a couple of years ago, but yeah, it's every time we go through there, new restaurants, new things going on, um, and we and we go there, you know, two or three times a year. So um, yeah, it's just it's it's crazy how much it's blown up. It used to be. Um, uh, two distinct separate towns between North Liberty and Coralville. Now it's yeah. just one whole oh, big, uh, one whole big city for sure. Yeah. Uh, the, there was a Chinese restaurant on, on what's that? 965 or whatever the, yeah. that, that runs through there. 
Um, every time you called the order, didn't matter what it was, five minutes. It was five minutes, five <laughs> minutes, five minutes. And I remember we called one time and they they said 10 minutes. And I'm like, wait a minute. What's going on, right? Do we call the right place? Like that was, uh, that spot was uh, between that and obviously Aggies over there. Um, yeah. I spent about nine months in North Liberty. It was, uh, it was a good time. So yeah, for sure. Um, so I just want to touch briefly. I know you kind of mentioned, obviously your experience was a good one at, uh, at Iowa city West. Um, what do you, what do you think is probably the, the biggest thing that you took away from your high school career? Um, you know, both as a player and then something now that you've been removed for a while that, um, has helped you on the coaching side of things that you, you maybe didn't realize while you were young and thought you kind of knew it all, but now you're like, man, that was, you know, that was something that I learned way back in high school. I just didn't know it. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Coach Bergman, especially like um, just learned how to how you really had to compete every single day. And anybody that played in that that has played in that program or people had a chance to watch it, um, you know, you you see you see those teams play defense on 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 game nights and you have to play like that every day in practice. And there's no there's no off days. There's no um, late days. Um, you know, I was playing back with, you know, Glenn Worley and Nate Kading was playing. He was a couple years older than me. Um, Kevin Long was a good player that played football at, at, at Kansas. So when you're at Iowa City West, especially that time, but really anytime, like the number of high quality athletes, whether they're basketball players or not, just high quality athletes you're, you, you got to go against every day. Um, you've got to be ready to be ready to roll. And coach Bergman was a guy that uh, was an everyday practice guy. You talk about, you talk about shell drill and playing cutthroat and everything was super competitive. And um, it was like that from day one of practice all the way through the season. It was like that in the summer, um, all of our workouts and stuff we did. So like, I think it just really, you know, as you're, as you're kind of growing up and, and learning, learning how to be a, um, you know, a, a pretty successful athlete, you, you, you've got to learn how to, how to compete. So there's no doubt when I got to college, I, I, I was ready for it because we went through it. And there's, you know, as a college coach now, and um, even as I've went through it, like a lot of guys don't quite know how to compete at that level. And it takes some different amounts of time, whether it's a couple months or a couple years to figure out what it's like. But um, anybody that went through that program, you were ready to, you were ready for college practice on day one. So that's something I always look back and, um, you know, playing for coach Wags at, at Kirkwood, again, very similar uh, type of coach. So there wasn't any difference really. I mean, obviously the players were, you know, were better, but there wasn't a whole lot of difference going from high school to college from just what practice and everyday life as a basketball player was. So um, that was something I think really helped us. There's a reason there's been so many, um, so many alums that, that have played for coach Bergman that have been successful college players because they know what it's like. Um, they're pushed that way for four years in high school. Um, and there's not, you know, there's obviously, a, uh, there's obviously a learning curve, um, in the college game, but that learning cur curve is, is, is so much shorter for guys that, for guys that have went through that program. So uh, I feel blessed to have played for him, you know, to be ready to roll. Um, you know, coach Stump from, from a baseball standpoint, um, I think I've really learned how to develop relationships um, with our guys from him. I mean, we had a great relationship and he does it with, with, with most guys that go through that program. Um, he's a very positive, uh, positive coach. Um, he's trying to build you up all the time. So I think that's something that I, you know, that I really try to emulate um, as I've went through it is building, you know, I, I'm a big positive guy, build our guys up all the time. I rarely yell at them, you know, every now and then I will, but um, for me, it's about trying to build these guys up. And that's something I took from coach Stump. Um, you know, when you spend so, you know, especially as baseball players, you spend so much time together. You're out there three hours before a game, batting practice, 
doubleheader. Uh, you're, you know, you're talking, you're talking eight, nine hours at a time. And Coach Stomp, Coach Cronk, who's a coach at Liberty High School now, was our assistant. So just two guys that uh, were super positive, um, always tried to have fun. Um, and I've, I've tried to emulate that a little bit here uh, in, in my coaching career. You wear yourself out, especially on that baseball side. If you're just always, always, always fired up and always getting after players, and like you yeah. said, you spend a lot of time together before and yeah. after, and prepping yep. the field and getting the field ready and on the bus. It's like I can't, I can't be mad at you guys all the time. Like we would not have yeah, any we, fun. Yeah, so. we get rain delays and everything. So I mean, we play cards together. I remember uh, bus rides, a couple players and a couple coaches playing euchre, playing different card games. So like, just kind of having that fun and building that relationship. Um, with his players and I wasn't wasn't the only one he does it with all of his players and I think you, you you've been able to see the success he's had over the over over the course of his career um obviously he knows what he's doing from an X's and O's standpoint in in, in baseball but uh, more than that his guys really enjoy playing for him um uh, they enjoy the atmosphere and the, and the culture in that program for sure yeah, it's the old adage. They uh, don't care what you know until they know that you care. Um, no doubt and about that's, it. That's something about it. So, um, and, and you mentioned too on the basketball side of things, obviously I think the biggest transition uh, from high school to college is always the practice. Yeah, the mm -hmm. games are faster, things are coming at you, but being able to show up every single day and come ready to go, um, like you said, play, play against high level competition at a high level, at every skill and drill that you do is a huge difference. And so um, being able to have that at, at a young age Age, um, I think definitely helps players. And like you said, that the, the program and the alum speak for themselves uh, that have come out of Iowa City West. But uh, wrapping up your senior year then, um, or maybe it was before, I guess you'll have to fill us in, but what, what was the decision? Where, where were you at? Was, was baseball ever a maybe, or where, did you know it was basketball? And then what was that recruiting like and ultimately deciding on Kirkwood? Yeah, you know, I was kind of a late bloomer, I think a little bit. Um... You know, I, when I went through high school, I was getting recruited by Iowa a little bit um, um, from a baseball standpoint, not really basketball, but was getting recruited by a lot of Division three programs in Iowa, Co College, Cornell, a lot of those local ones from a basketball standpoint. But I was still 6'4", 160 post, post player at that time, right? Like I couldn't shoot outside 10 feet. Um, again, about 160, 165, I was trying like heck to put on weight. But, you know, sometimes you're just, you're just skinny, right? So, um, so as I got through my senior year, I had a pretty successful senior year of, of high school. Um, and I guess one of the drawbacks of, of late baseball season in the summer is you got to kind of make your decision before you go through your senior year. Um, I had a, from a baseball standpoint, had a really good sophomore year and then a just terrible junior year. Uh, I think I hit like four, 450 all-state player and hit like 270 the next year for whatever reason, right? So like, you know, you just didn't have the numbers to really back up the recruiting uh, process from a baseball standpoint. Had a really good senior year. Um, you know, from, from a basketball standpoint. So um, as I went to Kirkwood, um, got mainly recruited from basketball, but, but both sports recruited me. So I actually ended up trying to play both when I went there. So um, had a much bigger basketball scholarship, but a very small baseball scholarship. I was going to, I was going to give it the old try. I was going to try to play both my first year. Um, and I always tell people, you know, first, you know, first time in college, first time away from home, um, first day of class, so you're talking a Monday and uh, we had 6 a.m. basketball weights. I had class from 8 to 11.30. I had basketball practice from 12 to 2.30. I had baseball from 3 to 6. And then I actually had a night class on Monday night. So I remember my first day of college, I got back at like 10 o'clock at night. And I was like, whoa, I'm not, I'm not sure I can do this, right? And, uh, you know, I, I, I kept it up that entire week. But when you're talking, you, 
again, you're talking uh, collegiate level athletes. Like there are some dang good baseball players out there. And the first week is all pretty much tryouts. There's a ton of guys that are trying to play, but there's obviously some, you know, some scholarship and, and recruited guys there. Um, it became pretty evident to me that I wasn't quite at their level. Um, and I wasn't going to put it in the time that I needed, that I needed to, um, to be able to do it. You know, I think if I would have just focused on that, I would have been okay. Um, but decided to go with the bigger scholarship and kind of, um, where I was basketball wise at that time, uh, after one week, it was, it, it was just too much. So, um, decided to obviously focus on, on basketball from, you know, from there out, but, uh, yeah, I, I was going to give it a try and I'm not saying, uh, guys can't do it, but, um, that first week was a lot for me and just decided, just decided to focus on basketball now is this and this is a wags uh preseason conditioning week too right yeah most likely uh let's see we probably went uh 6 a.m weights and then practice on monday and then 6 a.m weights tuesday and conditioning uh on tuesday and just repeat that process for about four weeks straight so um you know when i said i when i said iowa city west prepared me for it it got me close, but that was still another different level. Um, but luckily I didn't have too far to jump from, from what I was used to, but there's no doubt, man, uh, those preseasons at Kirkwood with coach Wags, uh, you had to be tough to get through it. And, um, you know, he, there'd be 25 guys or so 20 to 25 guys, you know, probably 20, 20 guys on the roster, um, every year. And by the time we got to October, there was usually about 14 or 15 left. So, uh, you had to have some toughness. You had to have some really want to and push through some really tough stuff. Um, but again, that's why that program has been so successful. Uh, Coach Wags is one of the best of all time. Um, so he he knew what he was doing. He wanted to see who was tough enough to, to kind of survive that um, and to keep on pushing. Um, and and he, he had a ton of success for sure. Yeah, the Coach uh, Coach Wags preseason conditioning has made it on the pod several times. So we've, uh, <laughs> we've, we've heard all about that. Uh, I tell you what, I tell you what, I went to Iowa after two years there and I thought that was a breeze. I tell yeah. you what, the conditioning there was a breeze. So yeah. uh, I've, I haven't found much worse. Every, every, about every year as a coach, I go into the summer like, all right, we're going to crank it up uh, conditioning-wise this fall. I'm going to do what we did at Kirkwood when I was there. But I usually back off about about one weekend. I just <laughs> I haven't, haven't been able to do it uh, for the full six weeks like like we went through back then. Uh, how did uh, how did the boys on uh, Miller Avenue um, help you with the transition uh, to college in Kirkwood? Oh, those guys are awesome. Those guys are probably, um, you know, four of my – they are four of my closest friends still. We talk every day. We've got a group chat called the Miller Miller Ave something, right? And that, that's what it's called. And I swear there's, uh, even today, there's a golf tournament. What, what, it must be some golf tournament going on there. I probably had 500 messages. I wasn't even watching. But um, obviously, four of my closest friends, we lived together there on Miller Ave uh, my first year. Um, a lot of those guys were older, right? So you got guys that were in their second, third, fourth year out of high school. So um, you're just kind of thrown into living. Um, you know, I was I was young still. I just turned 18 in July when, when I went to college. So um, one of my high school teammates was, you know, was was there with us, but then three other guys that were, um, you know, that were older. So um, those guys are uh, lifelong friends living there. You kind of just, you kind of just grow up, right? And uh, you kind of learn how to take care of yourself a little bit and, I don't know what it's like there now, but, um, you know, back then there wasn't a cafeteria on campus. So you're talking about cooking your own food at, you know, hamburger helper, tuna helper, ramen noodles, you name it, man. We, uh, we were, uh, we were, uh, living within our means there for sure. No, that's great. So, uh, obviously Jordan, uh, is a good buddy of mine, uh, yeah. came to Warburg. And so I, and yeah. then obviously Pete and Webb, I know both those guys real well yeah. too. And so, uh, 
Yeah, it's it's funny. It sounded like it was a lot of Tiger Woods, uh, Tiger Woods baseball, and some loaded bases too. Maybe in the maybe hey, in the yep, a little uh, little play. That was back. I think PlayStation Two was it was a thing back then. So uh, yeah, you know we got our money's worth playing some NCAA football back back when those games were legal. Um, playing some Tiger Woods golf all day. So it was pretty much we were at basketball, we were at class, or we were playing video games. Uh, I think I squeezed in a little bit of homework there uh, every now and then, but. Uh, yeah, we had some ep epic uh, rivalries and games there. Um, some broken doors, broken furniture, broken controllers, you name it. Uh, I'm sure you probably heard the stories, but uh, those guys have been uh, my closest friends, um, you know, from a coaching standpoint, like they come to our games, they can, you know, at least once a year, the whole group makes it up to one of our regular season games. Eggers flew up from Arizona and met the whole group when we were in our conference tournament in Sioux Falls. Uh, most of them came to our NCAA tournament. So um, them and their families have really kind of followed the, you know, followed our followed our team and followed our journey. So, you know, I talk a lot about, you know, with our guys in our program about developing those lifelong relationships with these guys, either guys that are going to be in your weddings or you're going to be good friends group text in 20, 30 years from now. And, um, I've got that real life example. The, those guys are, are my closest friends still today. So, um, you never know what to get into when you're going to college for the first time and living with older dudes and living in an apartment. Um, you're kind of on your own, but, uh, no doubt some awesome memories there and probably even a stronger bond now as we've gotten older, we all have our own families and, um, have, have grown, grown even closer now. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, we, we talk about all the time too the relationships that you form. I mean, it's something I tell people, you know, from that side of the basketball at my wedding, I had my two buddies from back home and the rest of them were my college teammates. And so, yeah. you know, it's just those relationships that you form. Um, you talk about being having some older guys, Jordan. Jordan quite a bit older he, he <laughs> and you talk about doing some school work Jordan that wasn't Jordan he was the one uh, um, hey. probably uh, probably causing some some damage getting into it with Pete but uh, he's, he's, he's doing pretty good for himself now though There's oh no man he is those great guys too I mean all like sure. you said all those guys they've uh, um, really just good guys and um, had to have been good ones to kind of transition into and 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 uh, all three really good for all four of them really good basketball players. I know Biggie was with you there too. Yeah. Um, Brownlee had just left, I believe, but right before you yeah. got there and you got to obviously see him in Iowa. But uh, uh, yeah, had to have been a good experience there in Cedar Rapids, win a lot of basketball games. Um, when, when your time gets down there, then was it an easy, it was an easy pick to, uh, transition down to Iowa city or admittedly, I'll tell you, I don't know if this was just Jordan wishful thinking. I mean, Warburg, we legitimately thought we had a chance at, yeah. yeah. So he was, he was trying, um, you know, I mean, I heard from D threes and a couple D twos, but, um, quite honestly, I, I always knew I wanted to go to Iowa. That's where I wanted to go. Um, Coach Lansing was an assistant there at that time, and him and him and Wags were really close friends um, in the coaching world. So I know Wags was getting, you know, different coaches from different levels call him, and um, he brought me in one day. He's like, "All right, what do you want to do?" And I said, "I want to go to Iowa." So um, I knew I was going to walk down there, which was fine. I just um, growing up there, and uh, my family was all there. My girlfriend slash wife now we've been together since high school, but uh, she was going to school there. So that's just where I wanted to go. I knew that's where I wanted to go. I wanted to play. I wasn't sure if I was ever going to get the chance to do it. Um, but when I had that chance to do it, um, Coach Lansing invited me down uh, with the team. I played a couple open gyms that spring. Um, and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't good enough to, you know, light the world on fire or anything, but could kind of hold my own. So, um, yeah, I had the chance to, to walk on. I met with Coach Alford for about five minutes. Uh, he said, yeah, let's do it. And um, it was a dream come true for me, quite honestly. Um, 
you know, a lot of guys have different college path and, and, and there, I don't think there's really a wrong, a, a wrong one, right? Like guys, some guys want to play some, some guys want to be at that level. I kind of feel like looking back, like I had two years where I played a lot, um, had a lot of success. We were good at Kirkwood. And then um, I was okay with not playing, right? Like I just wanted to go there and experience it and be a part of that, uh, be a part of that program, um, be a player in the big 10. Um, you know, I just look back to all the different experiences I had those two years when I played. Um, it was definitely something that, um, that I wanted to do. But even after, after I did it for two years, uh, there's no doubt that, that I made the right decision. So when you put that black and gold on for the first time, what do you, what do you remember? What did it feel like? It was awesome, man. I tell you what, first time we put the jersey on, black and gold blowout. I don't know if they still do that now, yeah, but black and gold blowout. And uh, you get to put the actual jerseys on and fans get to be there. And you know what? When you play black and gold blowout, and I think you have 14 guys on team. So there's seven on each team. You're definitely going to get to play, right? So you can get a chance to get out there. And uh, yeah, it was awesome just to go through that tunnel and then um, be able to be able just to play in Carver Hawkeye, a place where I had grown up watching a ton of games and really good players and good teams and all that stuff. Um, and I think my entire family, my entire wife's family, huge Hawkeye fans. Like you're not going to find, um, you're not going to find bigger Hawkeye fans, than, you know, than my wife's family. So um, I took a lot of pride in that and, and, and being a part of that program. And we had some really good success there um, in my two years going to the NCAA tournament twice. So just to be able to experience that, right? Like I got a chance to win a big 10 title, um, you know, that weekend in Indy was awesome going through those experiences, uh, going to the NCAA tournament twice going through a lot of ups and downs. We had a lot of, you know, some, some rocky times as well. And you kind of learn to, to handle some different adversity and, and what it's like. And, um, but again, a lot of those guys I play with are still guys that I'm really close to today as well. So when you went to Iowa, then did you already kind of have visions or the desire to know that coaching was potentially going to be your path? No, not at all. Quite honestly. Um, I was going to be a pharmacist is what I thought I was going to be back okay. in the day. I don't know why, but uh, that's what I wanted to be. Um, some people are, um, my wife's dad and wife's sister were pharmacists and it seemed like a cool thing to do. Right. So I was going to do it. Um, when I got through my second year at Kirkwood, I don't know, it was chemistry two or chemistry three, didn't quite go my way. So um, I think it was pretty evident that wasn't going to be my career path. So um, I changed majors a couple of times. Didn't really, hadn't really thought about coaching quite honestly. Um, I was in the business school there, but uh, one day in practice, I think it was, it was during my senior year, Coach Alford and Coach Neal at the time um, just mentioned something to me. They said, hey, have you ever thought about coaching? And at that time, like, you know, honestly, not really, but kind of sparked my interest a little bit. You know, they kind of said, you know, you kind of got the mind for it a little bit. You kind of understand some different things, but um, I'll never forget, like, one of the one of the things that I, that I remember, we were at Coach Alford's house, and I was kind of thinking about it. And then I, I look around, you know, he's living in this mansion and whatever, right? I'm like, yeah, this is pretty cool, right? Like, this is definitely something I could do. And uh, little did I know, that's not quite how it ends up for everybody, quite honestly. But uh, I'll never forget at that time, my senior year, I was like, yeah, I could do this. You know, look at look at Coach, right? So, um, but yeah, so I kind of made that decision later in my senior year. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and Coach was um, Coach Alford was. Um, and was great enough to, to let me stay on staff as, as a graduate assistant that next year. And um, those jobs are really hard to get. You know, I, I don't think I know. I didn't realize that at the time. It was just, you know, it was just what was next. But like looking back at it right now, I know how competitive those jobs are. Um, high major graduate assistant spots. There's a ton of dudes that want those. So um, for a coach to be able to, to give that to me and in, uh, in, in year one um, kind of helped set my career path, um, you know, the, the way that it's went. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I always wonder, uh, you know, when you have those those guys uh, that are, are down the bench and, you know, enjoying their experience at that level, um, how yeah. many of them who ultimately, you know, do get into coaching, how, you know, so, how so many of them have the maturity to know that, hey, this is what I'm doing. Like, I'm learning, I'm networking, I'm doing all this stuff. Um, I, I will say I'm also surprised at how many people are like, no, like I, that, that wasn't <laughs> on my radar yet because it's like, yeah. we all want to play. We all want to be competitive. We all want to be out there. Um, I just always th think it's so neat when you have a kid that's got the maturity level to be able to be like, you know, I'm here, I'm learning. Um, yeah. It sounds like, you know, you kind of got there. Um, towards the end of your senior year and then what was in a neat experience and so then um what was that transition like so going from player right away then on staff as a GA I mean that's always tough because these are guys that you just got done playing with that you were just playing PlayStation 2 with and now all of a sudden yeah. like you gotta you gotta you know tell them what to do and help them out yeah. so what, what was that like uh for you and what was some of the toughest transition for you yeah, I think I just learned a lot that that first year of what it actually means to be a coach. I think um, so many times as a player, um, you just kind of see the final product, right? Like you see the five minute uh, scouting report film that the coaches show you a couple of days before the game. Then you see the two minute film the night before the game kind of recap. And you're like, oh, it's not much. Right. But uh, what I really learned that first year is just how much time and work goes into it from a from a coaching standpoint. Um you know, I don't think I really know what I was getting into. I remember that first that first spring even. So I had just finished in, in March. Um, and one of the things that probably made it a little bit easier is I think we had five or six seniors that year uh, when I graduated. So a lot of those guys played a lot of minutes. So as you look into what next year's team looked like, um, a lot of new faces or, or some younger guys. So I didn't have necessarily have to coach guys that I was, um, you know, were in my same class or a year younger than me for the most part. But um I'll never forget uh, first spring workout we had. Um, I didn't know any better. Uh, we, we were doing small group workouts. I, I remember. I'll never forget. I came walking down the the ramp uh, in Carver for our first workouts, and I had flip flops on. And for me, I was like, I'm just gonna go out and rebound. I, you know, I was dumb, 20, 22 year old. And I think uh, Coach Alford with some with some extra words in there, like, what the heck are you doing? Like, get out of here, right? Go get some shoes on. So that was a quick lesson as in, all right, I got to I, I got to change my professionalism a little bit. Right. So um, and then I'll always forget. I'll, I'll, I'll never, never forget just after one of our first games um, in the fall that year, you know, as a player on Sundays, those are usually your off days. Right. You just kind of sleep in. You go to you know, I used to go to church with my family, go out to eat, you know, just whatever. And um one of our first Sundays after our first games, I, you know, just did what I did. And uh, I remember going to church. And then when I got out of church, I had like five missed calls from coach Neil and I called him back and he's like, where in the hell are you at? Right. I mean, he goes, he goes out and he said verbatim, you're not a player anymore. Right. So that was like the light bulb moment. We're like, all right, this is different. Right. Um, so I'm there. I am in the office on Sunday for four, six hours, whatever it was. And um, that's when I kind of knew like, all right, this is different. Um, I had a chance to learn that first year. You look at some of those guys. Uh, Tim Buckley is, is a lifelong, awesome assistant coach um, or head coach and assistant coach at the Division One level. Alford, uh, Coach Neal. Um, so I had a chance to learn from some guys that have been it for a while. And um, you know, even when Licklider uh, got there, you talk about Laval Jordan and Chad Walthall, who I end up working for uh, later uh, here at the Division Two level. Um, 
you know, this was back in the day before all the technology and all the synergy sports where everything's clipped for you now. I, I was the guy who had to clip it all. And when we first started, it was VHS and it turned to DVD. And some of it got on the computer, but um, you're clipping every single offensive and defensive possession of your own games, every opponent game. Talk about numerous, you know, so many hours I spent doing that. I think that's where you're, where I kind of figured out um, the amount of work that goes into it, but also just how much I was learning, right? Like you're watching so many different coaches, um, their different styles, what they run, how they do it. And when you put together a scouting report, and I'm kind of going off tangent here, but when you put on, a, when you put together a scouting report, like, um, you know, especially back then, you've watched this same clip probably 10 or 15 times by the time you show it to the guys. And um, you add up all those different set plays and presses and, you know, off, you know, fast breaks, whatever it is. Um, you just kind of accumulate a ton of knowledge when it comes to that. So those four years that when I was at Iowa doing all that stuff, um, my eyes hurt. I had to get LASIK surgery because my contacts hurt too much. Like you talk about your eyes just hurting looking at a computer screen. But um, I think that really helped me um, learn so much more about the game from an X and O standpoint um, and really um, learn the kind of work ethic it takes to, to put those uh, put those things together to really have a successful program. Well, and just uh, being able to watch film is a skill too. And so obviously being able to go through and, and, and watch and cut tape and, and kind of know what you're looking for uh, has to help you now and has to speed the process up for you a ton, uh, getting that experience. But uh, so you mentioned Coach Alford a couple of times. What, uh, what was one thing that, uh, that you really kind of took or learned from Coach as a player? And then ultimately being on staff, then what was something that – um, you, you had learned from Alford. Obviously, we've heard on the podcast before how, you know, a big player development guy and really seemed to, to individually get players a lot better. Um, but I'd be interested to know kind of what were, what were some of your takeaways from Coach? Yeah, I think as a player, like, uh, I was lucky enough when I got there, Co Coach Alford, but also uh, Coach Neal just came from the NBA. He came from the Raptors uh, my two years there. So, like, our player development was phenomenal. And a lot of the stuff I still use today with our program is stuff that stuff that I did as a player there for those two years. So talk about Coach Alford, Coach Neal, Greg Lansing, you know, was a head coach at Indiana State forever. Brian Jones was at North Dakota as a head coach. You talk about an awesome staff. You don't really know it when you're when you're in it um, at the time. But as those guys' different career path uh, kind of went different ways, you you kind of realize how fortunate you were to play, you know, to to play for those guys. So um, a lot of the stuff we did back then, uh, I still use today. And really, from a coaching standpoint, like what I appreciate about coach, even today, like or you know, e even now, like we went out and played them um, in an exhibition game this past year. He he invited us out, and our UMD team went out and played them, but. Uh, even today, but uh, back then as well, he's just a basketball junkie. That dude is in the office watching film 24-7. Everything he does is about basketball. Um, that's who he is, right? And um, there's a reason he's been so successful at so many different places because he just lives it. He lives it 24-7. That's who he is. That's who his family is. You can tell that by his kids and just how his family is. So, like, um, I feel fortunate, fortunate just to kind of go through that um to see how see how some guys run their program and see how much how much hard work goes into it from the top down it's he's not a ceo guy that rolls into the office and doesn't do anything that guy's in there watching film 24 7 and um especially if you lose a game you're in there uh, in that hotel room watching that game until about two three four in the morning uh, even if you even if you play the next day so some of those tournaments where you play three days in a row um us uh, uh lowly staffers got very little sleep for sure because um you're in there watching with him, but then you know that you've got to do the actual work of cutting things and getting things ready by the next morning as well. So it's almost like you end up watching it twice. 
but uh just the way he is he's he, he's a lifer um he's awesome when it comes to working hard and watching film and figuring out how to um how to put guys in certain situations to be successful one of the things i i i, I think i still do today or try to do today that i learned from him and coach neil is a lot of set plays and quick hitters to try to take advantage of certain matchups and i think those guys were really good and still are they're still doing it at nevada but um really good at identifying where the mismatch is and then going at that guy in different ways to get the ball um in, in, into different spots uh for that guy to be successful and um the, you know so so that along with just the overall work ethic um you know i think he's got a very positive personality guys like playing for him um you know i think guys who who played for him in his program will all say that yeah he pushes you hard um but there's definitely that level of respect um you know that that you know you're getting pushed for sure I might explain a little bit uh, why all the, the Big Ten tournament runs then if you guys are doing all this prep work uh, till 2, 3 in the morning uh, with the turnaround the next day. Uh, yeah, he's always work. had success. No matter where he's been, um, he's had success in tournaments. And, um, you know, I was a player at the time, so you don't see it. But I, I'll, I'll always remember my my first year as a GA. Um, wasn't even a tournament, but we played down at Arizona State. We're in, we're in, uh, whatever. Uh, we're in Phoenix or Tempe, wherever it is, and uh, we get beat. We're up big. We end up getting beat at the buzzer or whatever it was. But um, our flight left the next morning at like seven a.m. So most people would go back to their hotel and go sleep for four, five, six hours. Um, we were down there as a staff till about four in the morning. Um, then we had a team meeting before the bus left at like 8 a.m. to watch film again at like whatever, 7 a.m., whatever it was. And um, that's where it was like, whoa, all right, this is this is what it's like. Uh, coach is going to watch whatever he needs to watch in order to try to fix stuff and get his team going in the right direction. So, um, but especially even when you get into tournament time, even if you win, he watches that whole film. He tries to figure out ways to get better and then onto that, onto that next opponent. I think anybody that's worked for him um, knows what those nights are like, even, whether it's, uh, you know, after a loss or even after a win, getting ready for the next team, um, you're going to spend a lot of time in there. And I think that's what, uh, one of the things that has helped made him so successful. Now, uh, Coach had his own court at that Corville house, right? Is that, yeah, is that on did. your bucket list now? Is that next or what? And I tell you what, <laughs> if, if I uh, if I could make the kind of money he did, I probably would for sure. There's no doubt about that. But, yeah, we would have walkthroughs out there. You know, one of the things I that I do or that I have taken from him is uh, we used to go to his house the night before home games every, you know, every single game. Uh, we'd watch film there. His wife would make some sort of dessert or cookies or whatever. And then we would do actual walkthrough uh, there on his court. So we don't do the actual walkthrough on our court here at my house, but we have our guys over the night before um, our home games. We watch film, have some sort of dessert for him here. Um, develops that team camaraderie and kind of that family feel as well. But also kind of, again, um, so many times you leave practice at two or three in the afternoon and then you don't see him again until the next day. Um, it's a time for us to kind of send our guys home. They go to class or go eat. And then we come back about eight or nine o'clock, kind of that last chance to really focus them before they go to bed that night. And uh, that's something that I definitely uh, took from him that I still do today. Well, it sounds like you learned, learned a lot in Iowa city from, you know, the two years playing and then in, um, in your GA spot as well. But um, obviously um, a transition was made after that. So talk to us about um, a little bit about that. Uh, how was that? Uh, you know, how did that come about? Obviously, a GA is just a couple of years long anyway. Yeah. But uh, what was the, the the transition like from Iowa City out? Yeah, you know, so I spent four years there on staff. So I was lucky enough um, when Todd Licklider came on, he kept me on as a, as a video coordinator. So I spent four four years there total. 
Um, and I always say I learned a ton in those four years. Lavelle Jordan is one of the best was one of the best assistant coach player development guys that I've ever been around when he was there. Obviously, you know, he's been head coach of Butler and, and all that stuff. But um, I learned a lot there. And, and again, that's where I really did a lot of my scouting report and video stuff my three years with him. He put a lot of trust in me um, to put those scouting reports together. Um, and the assistant coaches trusted what I was doing. So um, I learned a lot from there. But, you know, as as coaching life goes, um, sometimes sometimes you get fired. Right. And almost every coach gets fired at some point um, during their, uh, you know, during their career. So. You, you know, obviously when the head coach gets fired, everybody gets fired. Right. So you're kind of sitting there, I'm sitting there as a, I don't know, 25 year old guy who hasn't been out of Iowa city since I was, you know, since I was born quite honestly. So, um, took a lot of, like, I was trying to get every job you could possibly get. And I remember, you know, um, my wife, uh, telling me we'll go anywhere in the country except North Dakota, right. For whatever reason, we didn't, just didn't want to go to North Dakota. Right. So, um, that happens in March. I applied for every job you could possibly apply for like hoop, you know, hoop dirt, all that stuff. I was just on there, like, you know, and I know now that like most, you don't just apply for jobs and get them there, you know, whatever, but I was 25 and whatever, but I applied for every single thing you could possibly apply for right? across the country. So, um, Got a random call from Paul Sather, who was a head coach at Northern State, which is in uh, about 30 miles from the border of North Dakota in South Dakota, right? So it's about as close That's to North good. Dakota as you can get. Um, so I got a call from him. Um, he had just taken the job there. Um, for those that don't know, North, you know, Northern State was one is or still is, and has been um, one of the best Division II programs in the country for a long time. Uh, Don Meyer was a coach there for a long time. Uh, Bob Olson before him. He talked about some legendary coaches. Uh, at this level, um, and, and Paul had just taken over, so um, interviewed for the job. Um, actually, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get the actual um, top head head coaching job. He called me back about a week later and said, "Hey, you didn't get it, but I do have a second assistant job that we're starting. Are you interested?" And I remember going to my wife. I said, "Well, it's not North Dakota, but it's pretty darn close. What do you think?" And at that time, like it was, you're talking mid June, right? So you're talking. Uh, almost three months of just applying for jobs and not quite sure. Like, am I going to go work at a bank? Am I going to coach high school? Like you just kind of go through all those uh, different scenarios. Luckily my wife was, or, you know, is a teacher and was teaching at that time. So we had some sort of um, stable income, but uh, we had made the decision as, as a, as a family that we were going to follow my coaching career, but you didn't really know where, where it was going at that time. Right. So um, we went out there, uh, Paul, you know, who I'm still super close with, you know, told me at the time, like the job is yours, uh, second assistant job, um, making, you know, less than 20 grand, whatever. But he goes, he goes, the job is yours, but I'm not letting you take it in, until your wife gets a job. So we went out there and my wife um, applied for an interview for some, for some teaching jobs. So um, just kind of happened. Right. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're into division two basketball. And um, I think one of the things that we miss out um, in Iowa a little bit, I think Upper Iowa at that time had just went Division II. Uh, they were making the transition from D3 to D2. So uh, growing up for me and for people of our age, like we didn't know anything about Division II basketball. You just don't know about it. You know about NAI, you know about D3, and, and you know about D1. So um, for me, I didn't really know what to expect. And I think you kind of um, kind of assume that it's going to be this huge drop-off from a competitive or talent or athleticism standpoint. Um, but quickly during that first year, when I got there, I was like, all right, this is some pretty high level basketball, right? It might not be exactly the same as, um, obviously big 10 basketball, but, um, going there and learning what it was like to 
kind of do everything as an assistant coach, you know, back as a GA or ops guy, you know, you did all the office work, but you couldn't recruit. Uh, you couldn't coach the guys on the floor. When I was at Iowa, I had to, I had to run the clock on the side for four years, right? Like you just don't get to do all the coaching stuff that you want to do. So in D2, there you don't have those restrictions. It's a head coach, maybe two assistant coaches. If you're lucky, sometimes one in a GA and everybody does everything. So you're thrown right into recruiting. You're thrown right into player development, coaching, scouting reports, everything you want to do as a coach. Um, and those two years, honestly, you know, when I went there, I always wanted to go back to division one, like, Hey, I'm just going to go here and take whatever job I can. But the goal is always to go back. And once I got there for a year, um, I think I really took a career or, you know, kind of a mental change a little bit. And I decided this, you know, this is what I want to do. I want, I want to be a head coach at this level. Um, I could see kind of how competitive it was. Um, and, but also some of the benefits from a work-life balance a little bit. We had our first, you know, our son was born out there in, in Aberdeen as well. So um, during those two years, I kind of made this, the decision, this is what I want to do. There's a lot of, a lot of different ways to get there. Um, and not saying I would never go back to Division One, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. So um, being at that level, seeing what it's like, um, there's some great coaches and some great players around here. Um, and you're, and it's, uh, it, it's everything that Division One is. Um, we just take charter buses everywhere in, instead of charter plane. <laughs> That was going to be one of my questions was what, what, what are, uh, what are a couple of things that are different from uh, Iowa city to, to that. Um, and I'm assuming that the planes compared to the buses. Are yeah. Not, yeah. You know, change. in our league, Northern, Northern sun conference, there's some long bus rides. You're talking Aberdeen to Fayette, Iowa, uh, might be 10 or 11 hours. Um, and we play, you know, when we play a game at five or six o'clock on a Saturday night, we get on that bus and drive home. So you're talking some nights getting home at three or four in the morning and, um, just kind of what we do. And I think we're all used to it. Um, our guys don't complain. We play Friday, Saturday nights back to back. So we don't miss class as much. And it, it's a, it's a, it's different from that standpoint. Uh, but it's what we know. It's what we're used to. And, um, you know, the crowds aren't quite as big, but, uh, it sure feels like it when you're, when you're in it. Um, and our guys take a ton of pride in, in, in kind of what we do and, 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 and how we do it. Yeah. And, and I mean, also going back, going, going, um, back to a point you made here a couple minutes ago, but you know, you mentioned it that college basketball is college basketball. There's good players on every level. And I think anybody um, outside of a D one program, you know uh, you know, sometimes gets a bad rap, you know, with that, you know, Hey, I'm going D two. Oh, it's not D one, you know, but there are good players, good teams, great coaches um, at that level too. So, you know, I thought that was a great point you made. So um, how long did, did you spend there at Northern state? Yeah, so I spent two years there um, and had the chance late in the summer, um, head coaching job at Jamestown College opened up. So now you're talking NAI basketball. Uh, Jamestown is about an hour and a half north of Aberdeen, so it, it was close there. Um, the guy before me took a new job and took a Division II job um, late in July. Uh, so I interviewed and went through that process, and I got the job in mid-August. And I think I had about six days from the date I was hired until school started. So you talk about – trying to add some guys to a roster, which wasn't very successful, quite honestly. Um, some guys I brought in did, didn't make it very long, but um, so I was 28 and you're just all of a sudden you're head coach, right? And um, things change quickly uh, when you're head coach, obviously. And I always tell people like, you know, as I try to mentor different guys that I work with or, um, uh, you know, other uh, good friends of mine, like, you're never ready to be a head coach. You just got to go do it, right? Like, I don't know if there's a single guy that has never been a head coach who is fully ready, uh, but you just figure it out. And I always remember the first day, um, first day of workouts at, um, at Jamestown, we had a varsity and a JV uh, roster. So 
we had 38 guys, I think, on the first day of practice. So we're in this big, you know, auxiliary gym. There's three courts. We're going to play open gym. It's my first day. Uh, I remember walking in and um, just being like, oh, my God, there's so many guys in here, right? And when I blew the whistle for those guys to come into the circle for the first time, it hit me like, all right, here we go. Like, you've got you to gotta change, right? Like, I was a pretty quiet guy before that um, and still am. But when you're the man and, and when you're when you're in charge of that group, you've got to take ownership of it. So it was a distinct feeling that I still remember today when I blew that whistle and saw all those guys and all 38 guys had both eyes on you waiting to hear what you say. Right. And you, uh, you just got to go do it. And you, you're never ready to be a head coach until you go through that and until you, you know, fail. Like we were five and five and five and 13 uh, at Christmas break my first year. Right. Like I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I look back at some of the things I did and whatever. I'm like, Oh my God, I, I feel bad for those guys that I coached. Um, but we figured it out through the first year, made the national tournament um, by the end of it. And then year two, I got to recruit a couple of my own guys, which helped, um, but won our conference and, you know, uh, won 20, 23 games, whatever it was. So like did a lot of growing up as a coach there. Um, and, you know, as you talk about different nuggets and kind of what you, you know, what I think I learned, um, you know, my first year, I was a young guy. I think I was probably too close to, you know, to my players, didn't coach them as hard as I needed to even through year two, uh, year two kind of had that same feeling. And then I remember going, going away for winter break. Um, our second child was born. So I was gone for practice for a couple of days and just kind of coming back like, all right, I got to change um, how I coach these guys. I built the relationship with them. They all like me. That's all good. Um, but that's kind of an assistant coach's role a little bit. I had to kind of change my mentality a little bit and coach these guys harder. And it was, I think we went 14 and one after break when we got it, got into league play and, um, it was amazing kind of the feedback and uh, the responses I got from our, from my guys when I started coaching them harder and holding them more accountable uh, and making sure that they are doing the things that we want them to do. You know, I didn't, I, I wasn't great early on at holding guys accountable and not that I'm doing anything crazy now, but um, um, I just had to, just had to grow up and kind of learn what it meant to be a coach and how I needed to, you know, what my personality needed to be as, as a head coach. So a lot of times, even now I kind of have, you know, that walk from my office to the court, um, kind of pump yourself up for 10, 15 seconds of, all right, you know, it's time to go. You, you, you got to be the boss a little bit. And uh, it's something I still take with me now. How, how big of an impact do you think being a parent had on that? Oh, there's no doubt. Um, especially as my, as my kids have gotten older, um, you start to think about my, I mean, my kids are only 10, eight and two, but you start to think about, um, you start to think about what you want your kids to experience if they get the chance to be a collegiate athlete. So, um, you know, just how you treat them, how you uh, respect them, how you are looking out for them off the floor, uh, in the classroom, all that stuff. Uh, it definitely changes your perspective. And I, I think most coaches who have had kids or who, as their kids get older, uh, I think everybody goes through that maturity process a little bit. Um, we all want to win. There's no doubt about it. I'm as competitive as anybody, but sometimes when you're younger, that's the only thing you think about. Um, and as you get a little bit older, uh, you, you start to think about what you want your kids to experience uh, when, when they go and hopefully play collegiate athletics. So there's no doubt that changes your perspective a little bit. Uh, it can't make you, uh, you know, can't turn you hundred percent the other way. You still got to be tough on them when you need to be, uh, but there's, there's a definite balance, balancing act that, that, uh, that we really try to um, focus on in our program. And I think that there's just, you mentioned that you're never really ready to be a head coach. I don't think we're ever ready to be parents either. Just, <laughs> there's you, no doubt about you, that. You just can't figure I out. Yeah, I had to change a diaper. I had not changed a diaper until we had our first kid, right? And then yep. um, you just kind of do it. It's, it's kind of like coaching. You just do it, and then you do it 10 times a day, the day one, and then you're ready to roll, right? So um, well, it, you, have, 
yeah. I, th- I think it also builds like like you get those instincts too you know like when you're you know that's part of why i asked you because it's like when you're a dad you kind of know you, you know you're holding your your child and kids especially as they get older to different expectations and you know that the relationships there and and you like there are certain things that you know maybe when you're younger and maybe not quite as mature that you aren't able to process or that don't come to you as easily um i think that kind of once you start to have kids or you start to have all these different feelings that you're like oh okay yeah. and like i know how to get send this message or i i get it or you know especially then as your kids probably as they get a little bit older you be like come on man i've seen that move before like i know what <laughs> yeah. you're trying to do that's what i tell my son all the time i was not born yesterday i've seen this before right and uh you know you start to see some of the same traits um in your guys you're coaching as you see in your kids right and you learn sometimes how to read body language a little differently you learn how to um you know, talk a guy off the ledge a little bit sometimes if certain things are bothering them because you've done it with your own kids. And I think anybody as a parent does it with their kids all the time. Uh, when to be tough on them, when to kind of, um, you know, wrap your arms around them and, and, and hug them a little bit. And I think we, you know, we should, and I think most coaches do, uh, we try to do that with our players as well. So um, I think one of the things that has really, um, I don't know if it's changed for me, but it's really impacted me in my four years here at, uh, at, at, at UMD is just, trying to balance that fine line of, um, like I said, when I was at Jamestown, I was probably too much the other way. Right. Um, but trying to balance that fine line between pushing these guys and being tough on them when I need to, but also knowing that we've got a great relationship with them. They trust us. Um, we're supportive, supportive of them beyond the basketball floor, um, whether it's social stuff or classroom or whatever it is. Um, so trying to, trying to, um, find that balance a little bit. And I've really found that, um, I'm, not, I'm not the only one, but um, really found that when these guys feel supported and they feel like you've got their back and you're pushing them, um, they've got a chance to do some really special things on the floor. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm, I'm not sure on the timeline here, but did you by chance run into um, a Danny Neville? at Jamestown he may yeah. have, he, he may have come after you or so, or was he yeah. there when you were there yeah great question so Danny was my assistant coach in both my years I, there so okay I was uh, when I got there, there yeah yeah so when I got to Jamestown again I'm talking a week before school started he was already on staff uh, he just got hired before like a month before but got hired as our second assistant um I hired an, another guy as our top assistant it didn't go great he was out you know halfway through the year so Danny was my top assistant for about a year and a half and uh, still one of my closest friends. I talked to him a couple of times a week on the phone. Uh, we talk about a guy who, um, uh, you know, can really push players and can run his program. Like same thing with him. Talk, if you look at his seven years that he's had there as a head coach, it's been off the charts. So like I always, yeah. I always tell people he's the next guy who hopefully gets that next promotion to, uh, to the next level if he wants it. But I think he's also super, um, super comfortable there in Jamestown. He's built a great program. He's got, he's got probably one of the best players in the country, regardless of levels right now, a kid from Jamestown. Um, they've got a great new arena there. So like, he's got a lot of things there to be successful. So, um, you know, sometimes you just find a spot where you're comfortable. Um, you've got everything you need to be successful. And sometimes you don't mess with happy. So he's been there for seven years. They're killing it. Um, you know, he'll continue uh, to, 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 to do a great job. Yeah. Great friend. Um, uh, so both, so both of our kids, so our second, our second kid and their first were born like five days apart. So our wives were pregnant together as we're both assistant nice. coaching and going through everything, um, and having babies, you know, maybe a week or two apart, whatever it was. But, uh, yeah, so you build some great relationships there when you go through that together as a family and new kids. And, uh, you're, when both your wives are pregnant, you're going through the season at the same time. Oh, yeah. Um, 
both of our kids were born kind of mid-season. So, um, yeah, great friend. Again, I talk to him a couple of times a week. Uh, we talk all the time. Uh, yeah, he's he's an awesome coach. Yeah, I know he has a great thing. He has a, he has a great team down there. Has had a great team last couple of years for sure. But so he played with uh, my brother um, at Grandview. And so I got okay. to know Danny pretty well yeah. playing there. But um, yeah, that's funny. Um, so, uh, all right. So obviously had, had, um, um, had some success there um, at Jamestown and then made a transition to an assistant job. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So I was there for two years. Um, kind of knew I didn't want to be there long-term. Um, so Chad Walthall was a head coach at Minnesota state Moorhead where I went, he was an assistant at Iowa when I was there as a video coordinator. So it's people always say that the coaching world is very interconnected. So, um, he lost his, his assistant, took a different job. Um, and I knew I was going to walk into a really good program there. They had some really good players coming back uh, for a couple of years. So um, it was a chance to move up levels again. Um, and he was going to let me kind of run the offense. And, um, you know, we had that relationship going back. He knew I had been a head coach, so I'd done it. Um, so it was a little bit easier for me walking back into because I knew who I was working for. Um, I knew his personality. I knew what his expectations were. Um, he does a great job of balancing life and work as well with his kids. So like I knew I wasn't walking back into a guy that needs you in the office from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. I, I knew I kind of knew what I was getting into a little bit from a family standpoint, uh, but I also knew the kind of responsibilities he was going to give me. So uh, from day one, um, you know, calling me the offensive offensive coordinator, he he would literally go stand on the other end of the court for about half the practice and kind of let me do my thing with the offense. And you don't see that a whole lot from head coaches. So that's something I always really respect from him. I haven't even done that myself since, you know, since I've been head coach, like I just haven't been able to do that. I always want to, I've had some, I do have some really good assistant coaches and I'm always thinking like, yeah, I'm going to give them this or that. But a lot of head coaches are, are, are control freaks when it comes down to it a little bit. So I give him a ton of credit and a ton of, um, respect for kind of handing those duties over uh for my four years there we won a ton of games uh, won three league titles and in, in four years uh went to the elite eight which is um kind of like the final four of, of division two basketball a little bit so um so yeah i i went back to being assistant but again i think it's a lot it, it was a lot, a lot of it for me was kind of knowing who i was working for um I knew I wanted to be a division two head coach. That was kind of my goal that I went back to when I was in Aberdeen, when I first started, um, at, you know, life after Iowa a little bit. Um, and I thought from Jamestown, I could maybe get some jobs, but I thought if I went, you know, from Moorhead and if we could win the way that I, you know, that I thought we could had a chance to get some of the better jobs in our league. So, um, you know, you never know how it's going to work out. Uh, but our four years there, having that head coaching experience, but then going back and really killing it from a, you know, from a division two perspective on the national level, uh, no doubt helped help me get uh, this job at, 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 at UMD, which is one of the best, you know, one, one of the best jobs in our league. Yeah. So talking about that job um, was that obviously that was a goal, a plan of yours um, at the time that, that that job came open was that you looking for something was that you just keeping your eyes open did they contact you how did that how did that process work um at at that time yeah i was very selective like i didn't chase every job that was open um i was very comfortable there i knew we had a good thing there um so i could kind of um just chase jobs that i thought had a chance to be really good so when umd job opened um you know we you know they're, they're we're in the same conference so you kind of know um you know, what their situation is, you know, and one of the things that attracted me here was 
at the time, every, every other single sport in this department was being, you know, was successful. You talk about hockey's and footballs and women's basketball, volleyball, everybody's successful. So when you see a department like that, you know, there's gotta be, um, reasons why, right? So as you dig into it a little bit, great, awesome city, you're two hours from the twin cities to recruit to, um, pretty high academic school that people want to go to. So like everything was in place here other than just kind of a spark in the basketball program a little bit. So, um, that's why I was attracted to it. Um, I thought we could, you know, from a coaching perspective, change some things and change the culture a little bit, uh, here, but the other stuff was in place. I always tell people like, I don't have to really sell the city. I don't have to sell the school. Anybody that's been here knows how awesome it is and so many positive things with it. So, um, that's the reason why I was attracted to this job. I think it was probably the only job I think that I applied for in my four years when I was at Moorhead. So, um, went after it hard. There's obviously, you know, everybody's it everybody is interconnected, right? You know, talking about administrators or former coaches or just different people on the searches. So, um, you know, I think one of the guys that really got me over the hump here um, was Bob Olson. And he was an old coach, was a former coach at Northern State when I was there. Uh, he was the, he was the athletic director at the time. Um, when I, when I, um, uh, when I, when I coached there, he had retired. He had been out for four or six years from being an, being an athletic director, still lived in Aberdeen. Um, but some of the people that were on the committee here at UMD were former coaches. They had coached against each other, a ton of respect there and some, some good friendships. And it's just, it, it's amazing what, you know, what, you know, what that one thing is that gets you over the hump sometimes for a job. And when I got the job here, Gary Holquist, who was a former coach, two coaches ago, who was, um, you know, was one of the main guys that helped in the search said, uh, when Bob Olson called me, then I, I knew we were going to hire you. And you just think back to like all the different guys that I call Steve Alford and say there and all these other guys I worked for to call. And all those calls were probably helpful, but um, it was probably three or four weeks into the process. Uh, Paul Sather, who was my, the coach at Northern at, um, at the time, he said, Hey, have you, have you ever thought about having Bob Olson call for you? And at the time, like hadn't even crossed my mind. Right. But then all of a sudden I called Bob, he's like, yeah, I'll do it. And then that ended up being kind of what got me over the hump. So um, it's amazing sometimes what goes into it and some relationships you form that you don't even think about sometimes when you're going through the process. Um, but everybody is, everybody is super connected. And uh, sometimes it's just that, that, that one extra um, phone call or one extra push uh, by somebody that you don't really even expect uh, to kind of get you over the hump. So every time I go back to Aberdeen and I see him, uh, make sure I give him, give him a big hug. Uh, we play there once a year and uh, he's the guy that kind of got me uh, over the hump here for this job. Yeah. If there's one thing we've learned from this podcast is that the, uh, the coaching community is very, very, very interconnected. That's for no sure. So it. that's a great story. That's a great story. Um, what was, uh, when you got the job, uh, what was, what was job or I mean, the duty number one when you got there? Yeah, I think like like most guys, when they get a job, like you just want to get around your players. You want to start to build those relationships with your guys. Um, I got the job, you know, it, stuff happens a little bit later in Division Two and smaller college basketball. So I got the job in mid-May. Um, there was 15 guys either coming back or already signed um, by the previous staff that were coming in. So I didn't really have flexibility to add, you know, to add players. I didn't really have to go out and try to, you know, this was before the portal, but really go out and add transfers and do all that, like, our team was set um, from, from one standpoint. So for me, it was about uh, trying to build those relationships with guys and all of our guys are within four or five hours of Duluth. So um, I actually went out and almost all of them went to their house and met with them within that first month. And um, just, I wanted to see them face to face. I want to talk to them. I wanted, wanted them to know um, 
what I was about, what our culture was was going to be about, what are some things that are important, um, and kind of where we were going. And I wanted I wanted them them to be a part of it. Like when I got the job, some people told me it's going to be it's going to be a four or five year process. Uh, I think they won five games the year before I got here, um, and it was mostly the same roster. But um, like I told those group that group of seniors my first year, I had three seniors my first year and six juniors, so guys who hadn't won a lot. Um, but guys who had some experience in our league. And I said, you guys don't want to wait four or five years to be good, right? Like, like, like yeah, great. You're, you're an alumni of a program that gets there, but you guys want to do it. This is your only college experience. So uh, we're going to push you guys as, as hard as we can. And we had to change, um, or we changed a lot of what they were used to as far as how we work and different things we do. Um, and a lot of them will say it was a lot harder, but they wanted that. They wanted something new. They wanted to be pushed. Um, I think myself and our staff did a great job of kind of building that relationship and building that trust um, that we were pushing them in the right direction. So we went 17 and 10 that first year, finished third in our league, um, finished ninth or 10th in the NCAA regional rankings. You had to be in the top eight to get in. But like just to like be in that picture, I thought was awesome that first year. Our guys kind of saw um, saw what it can take to be successful in this league and that we weren't actually that far off. Like, yeah, it was the same guys that won five games a couple of years ago. Um, but with a little bit of a mindset change and a little bit of just a belief in what we're doing and having fun playing basketball, um, these guys kind of showed kind of what, what we could do. Um, that second year, then a lot of those juniors then became seniors. We won, went 22 and nine, uh, finished second in our league. So to be able to kind of make that flip in two years um, with a lot of the same bodies, not really any new players per se. Uh, we, you know, we had a couple of them that second year, but for the most part, uh, a lot of the same guys. And I think um, we were able to get the best out of them because they really, um, they were having fun playing college basketball and they weren't really doing that before. Um, and these guys really believed in what we were doing. So those first two years were a lot about just trying to push the culture in our program, get the most out of those guys. I was, you know, I'm not a big believer in rebuilding and just kind of throwing seasons away. Like those guys didn't, didn't have time for that. They didn't have time for a four-year uh, rebuild. Yeah, we were recruiting and bringing in younger guys. And there's a reason why we've been successful these last couple of years. Uh, Cause I, you know, my staff did a great job recruiting, but uh, we were going to get the most out of those guys that we could. And I didn't know if that meant five wins, 10 wins, 17 or 22, whatever. Um, but my mission to those guys early on, when I, when I met with them that first summer uh, face to face, I met with them and their, and their families. Um, I think one by one really uh, was we're going to push you and we're going to get the most out of you. So um, that was kind of my mission from, from day one. Um, I knew we could recruit at the level we needed to, to be successful long-term. Um, but more than anything, I wanted, wanted to get the most out of most out of those guys, those first two years. And that's all it really takes, right? You know, you have one or two good years, then the under, under, underclassmen see that, uh, then, then the high school kids see that, that you're, you're recruiting, um, and then you're off to the races and off and running. So, um, yeah. that's a great story. That's a great story too. So one thing you would tell, um, a new head coach, uh, one piece of advice that you have for a new head coach, any age, you know, very first head coaching job, what would that be? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, um, I think you gotta be yourself. Like I always thought, um, you try to emulate different guys or, um, do things that different people do, but you've got to coach to your own personality and you got to make some adjustments along the way. Like I talked about uh, through my first couple of years, but, um, I've always been a pretty laid back guy. I like to have fun with our guys. Um, I always tell people like, if I'm not having fun, then, then I don't want to keep coaching. Right. So like off the floor, we have fun, even at practice, I'll go in there and, and mess around, do some fun things. We'll play wiffle ball someday. Like 
Like we played a game on a Thursday, we played a game Saturday, and our, our guys were dragging a little bit. You know, we won, but they were tired. So we played wiffle ball, right? So like, let's you know, just be be who you are a little bit. Trust your um, trust your own personality. Um, find the times when you need to coach them hard, but make sure these guys really uh, trust in you and really believe that you're pushing them um, on the floor, but also off the floor as well. I think with with uh, with younger kids these days, high schoolers, kids who are in college. Uh, they want to know that you're pushing them, but they want to know that um, that you've really got their back as well. So um, be your, you know, be yourself, trust your own personality and make sure these guys know that, know that, know that, they, that you have their back. So coach, you mentioned in that second year, I'm going to, I'm going to definitely take uh, your word over the wiki machine here. But uh, so I was looking through your, your four seasons throughout the COVID year. That doesn't really count. Um, I wouldn't say you're, you're undefeated at getting third in the conference, but you mentioned you got second that uh, second year. Wiki's got you guys a T3, a T3, and then third this past year. And so I was like, all right, what do we have to do? What's the, what's the change to get out of that third <laughs> and get into one of these top yeah. two spots? I'll tell you what, this last year, um, you know, so in our league, we're, we're, split in, we're split in divisions, right? So we finished first in the north. Um, I think we were – I mean, we were – we ended the year 25 and six. So going into the pre or going into the postseason, we were 23 and four and finished third. Right. So there's three legit teams, um, three high level teams in our, in our region. We were all top top 15 in the country. Um, you know, one thing that we're kind of going through right now is, you know, I talk about the teams I had early on. Um, so we had three seniors and six seniors after year two. Um, I had eight true freshmen during our COVID year, right. Eight true freshmen, and four sophomores maybe right so those years don't count you know we got 13 games in we played half a season so this past year I had I started three redshirt freshmen and three redshirts or two redshirt sophomores right so um not a lot of experience I knew we'd be a better team than we were uh, during COVID but wasn't quite sure exactly how um you know what kind of jump we were going to make you look at those other two teams Augustana and Upper Iowa Augustana started a seventh year player, a sixth year player, two fifth year players. Uh, Upper Iowa had, I think, three fifth year guys in their starting lineup. So, like, we were, you know, it's going to help us later on as we go, hopefully, continue to be good. But we were up against it from an experience standpoint um, against some of the better teams in our league. And uh, to be able to have the season we had uh, was awesome. Again, we got the number two seed in our region, which was, which was a big time thing for us. We hadn't been to the national tournament since 2001, hadn't won a conference title since 1991, right? So to be able to do it with these guys and guys that are going to be in our program, um, they'll probably have the same starting lineup for four years straight, which is unheard of. Uh, knock on wood with the portal and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, like, um, gotcha. you know, we're on the verge of uh, some really special things here going forward. Yeah, that's exciting. Augustana, Augustana and Upper Iowa were in your national tournament tournament. Uh, like yeah, correct. Region, in our right? regional, in our regional. Yep. I think we got the number two or Augie got the number one seed they hosted. We were number two. Uh, I think Northwest Mo who won the title ended up number three and Upper Iowa was fourth. So you oh, talk man. about um, three teams from our league that were all um, again, they're, we're all top 15 in the country. And you look at our region, our region is always probably one of, one of, if not the toughest regions, um, you know, only eight teams make it. And those regions are preset. So it's our league, the MIAA, and then the GAC conference. So you're talking 44 teams. Um, and no matter if all 44, the top 44 in the country, only eight are going to go, right? So uh, we got eight teams in. Obviously, um, I think teams nine and 10 were both ranked in like the top 30 in the country, but didn't get a chance to play in the NCAA tournament. So 
that's kind of life in D2. I know we all want it to change a little bit. I'm not sure it will, but um, just to make it to the NCAA tournament at this level and in this region is, is a big deal. Um, again, we went, there's teams, Emporia State, um, you know, Southeast Oklahoma, those guys are 24 and six, 24 and seven, like heck, you know, really good years um, and aren't in the NCAA tournament. So just to be there is awesome. Uh, I wish someday we change that regionalization a little bit in division two, but I'm not sure we will going forward. That's a, it's a fight for somebody else someday. We're just trying like heck to be in that top eight. Yeah. That uh, you got, you got other things to worry on, but uh, us on this side, I know we were definitely talking about it when those, when those brackets came out and uh, uh, going over that with, with some people and, and saying like, how does this make sense? But uh, it is what it is. You just play who's in front of you and uh, to be the best, you got to beat the best. And so, um, well, good coach. Uh, no, we, we appreciate it. So you, you mentioned recruiting um, and bringing kids in. Uh, we're really excited to continue to watch your program and, and continue to watch the growth of those young guys um, and how they develop. So, so are you bringing these guys on campus then like early, early fall or when are you getting them there? Cause I mean, you bringing them dead of winter to Duluth and. and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't do a lot of campus visits uh, during the season. We bring them in uh, May, June, July, August. Uh, we've had some pretty good success. If you get you get a guy to Duluth on an 80 degree day when it's sunny. Uh, I'm not sure you're going to go anywhere else. So that's yeah, kind of yeah. what we stick to. Um, we pretty much have stuck to the twin cities. A lot of guys from the twin cities, um, you know, their families vacation up here all the time. So that's we've had a lot cool. of success with people that have been in Duluth a lot uh, during their childhood. They've been up here. They think the place is awesome. It's a great city. Um, you know, there's about 30,000 college students here in, in, uh, in our city between ourselves and some of the smaller colleges here as well. So, um, great college town, awesome vibe reminds me a lot of Iowa city. Um, uh, one thing I went back when I, when I interviewed here, I went back and told my wife, it reminds me a lot of Iowa city. So a great vibe. We love living here. It's great for our kids, but it's really great for college kids as well. Um, there's a reason we've been able to get some pretty high level players out of the twin cities area. Yeah, that's a that's a good place to be and a, a good place to kind of uh, continue to pull talent from. So that's great. I suppose if you get a kid up there in the middle of January and you get him to commit, then you know he's committed. He can he can probably <laughs> definitely he can send out the the hundred and ten percent committed tweet. Yeah, you, get, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, no matter where we recruit from, if you're in Minnesota or Wisconsin, you're probably used to being cold, that's so true. it's not that big a deal. Right. You start recruiting guys from Texas, Arizona, California, then you're going to have some trouble when you get into winter. But these guys all have their big winter coats. They got their hats. It's all good. Um, I always tell people, yeah, I always tell people in Iowa, like, you guys have way more snow days for missed school than we do. We just, we we know how to get rid of a foot of snow in a couple hours and we just go on about our life. So it's a whole different deal. You know, you should see what some of the snow plows look like up here. They don't look like they look in Iowa. These things are a whole different beast. And uh, we can get on with our lives here pretty fast. That's true. That's good. That's good. Well, coach, we, uh, we'll get you out of here. Um, we have, or excuse me, we like to end our podcast with a little section we call rapid fire. Yeah. Um, Brian's going to ask a couple questions and you just let us know what comes to the top of your head. All right. Awesome. All right, coach. Uh, first one we always lead with, I, I want to know two sides of this. So favorite visiting gym or arena um, you've played and coached in. Awesome. Well, I got to go back to my big 10 days. Um, I always love playing, um, playing the Hoosiers, playing in Assembly Hall. Uh, place is, uh, place is special. Um, the way it just seems like it, it's the loudest place that we ever played it in the Big Ten. And uh, I always remember when I was a video guy, before the game, you got to go sit, back then. You had to go set up your own camera, right? Like they don't do that anymore, probably. We had to go set up our own camera. And anybody that's been a manager or video guy in the Big Ten knows 
those steps and the way you got to go up, you feel like you're looking straight down on the floor when you're up there. It's kind of scary. So uh, anytime you got to go up top in assembly hall, you just see how big that place is. It, it was, it was loud. Uh, they were really good back then. Obviously when coach Alford came to town, they were all ready to rock and roll as well. So um, great, atmo great atmospheres there in, in assembly hall. That's good. What about, what about, so that, is that for both coaching and playing or you got another one on the coaching side that you've been to? Oh, geez. Yeah, pro probably both. Uh, we, we played there as a coach as well. Yeah, it was fun. You know, Michigan State's awesome. Illinois back in the day when they were good with D Brown and all those guys, uh, Deron Williams. Uh, that was when I played when the orange when the orange crush is rocking. That place was pretty good. Uh, but I think overall, um, geez, I'm just, just going to name them all. Ma Mackey Arena is pretty awesome, too. I mean, you can go through it, man. There's a there's a reason why the Big Ten is what it is. Um, they got the biggest crowds in the country. Uh, great student sections, great tradition. So uh, it's, it's definitely a fun, fun league to play in. Now, currently, you're, is your league tournament at the Pentagon then? Do you guys play? Correct. And Correct. that's got to yep. be that's got to be kind of fun for you and the, the guys, too. It's awesome because it's a, you know, 2,000, 2,500 seat arena. Um, great setting for our league to play in um, when you get in there. Like when I was at Moorhead, we played Augustana in the conference finals two years in a row. So you're playing in their home city, places jam-packed. Um, you're not going to find a better venue and setting for Division II basketball. And I know sometimes coaches in our league or people in our league say, well, we're playing our conference tournament on their home floor, but you're not going to find a better spot. It's uh, They do a first class there. They they obviously run some big Division One games in there as well. The staff there is awesome. Paul Seville does a great job running things there. But uh, uh, yeah, it's a really unique setting, right? Like we all go there for like AU tournaments. There's all those courts around it as well. But to be able to play in there, um, you know, with with uh, with a pretty good crowd uh, for our level doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, all right. Who's the uh, greatest basketball player of all time? Michael Jordan, hands down. Love no that. questions asked. There's a reason my there's a reason my son is named Jordan, coming. right? There's a reason <laughs> my son is named Jordan. There that's you go. A, that's a good one. Uh, I was gonna say you're you're uh, you're. I figured uh, based off of the age that that was no gonna doubt. be your answer, but. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we kind of skimmed a little bit over the WAGS era uh, a little quick. You got, is there a quick WAGS story that uh, you can actually share on the podcast? There's probably, yeah, there's probably some I can't share quite honestly, but uh, uh, I just talked to him on the phone the other day. I tell you what, he hasn't changed. He's, uh, he's competitive. I know he's coaching high school now at Prairie a little bit with his son. Um, there's some stories that, uh, um, that our former players can probably tell about some of our conditioning days and guys showing up late and kind of his response to that. But I'll save that for the uh, after podcast party a little bit. Hey, I like it. I like that. Um, favorite basketball shoe? Oh, great. Jeez. Um, I'm a Hirachi guy. Back when I was playing in, in college, the Hirachis were it, man. So I'm a big Hirachi guy. We got some nice custom black and gold ones when we went to the NCAA tournament. Um, I remember I got two new pairs of shoes before our last game. I kept those things for about five years um, nice. you know, once, I, once I was done playing. So, yeah, Har Hirachis for sure. Well, you got the Kobe switch, uh hoodie on right now. I didn't I know do, if you were going to yeah. go Kobe routes or not. I do love the Kobe's, yep. Yeah, yeah, now, we're, we're, we're under armor now, so I got I to gotta find some Steph Curry's I like. Yeah. There you yeah. go. There you go. Um, all right, what's, uh, what's the go-to spot when you're back in Iowa City? Um, one of the places you enjoy – Going, getting, getting something to eat, hanging out, whatever it is. Where, where's your uh, must, must go spot in Iowa City? I think it's got to be the airliner, right? And we've all had Oof. some fun times there. Yeah. Food is, food is great. We've had some fun times after hours as well. But uh, airliner is definitely a, a, a must stop for sure. They got yeah. the best Long Islands in town. <laughs> that is, that is absolutely for sure. So, um, favorite sports movie? Major League. 
Major yeah. League doesn't get any better than that movie. I tell you, what, I could watch that thing every day, no doubt about it. That, uh, yeah, that was a quick answer, too. Huh? Yeah, that's yeah. easy. Uh, I would say Major League or Jerry Maguire, those are probably my two favorites. Okay, yeah. Major League, especially growing up, you know, yeah. in the late 90s. I mean, that's uh, yeah. that's I'm probably, I'm probably the one basketball coach who isn't. I'm not enthralled with with Hoosier. Like it's it's all right. I'll say I've never actually seen the whole movie, so um, it's not really my thing. So I think about it's kind of blasphemy from a basketball coach to say, I guess. But uh, I'll stick with uh, Jerry Maguire and Major League for sure. No, oh, I love it. That's good. That's good. And I, and I I appreciate the honesty too. And we had to change that from to favorite sports movie because we wanted to mix it up, and we have we've gotten a lot of a lot of people that have thrown out a lot of different things, and um, it's great. It it, it yep. definitely because it feels like if we say basketball, you just whether you like it or not, everyone just says Hoosiers, and it's like okay. Favorite Maybe basketball, we, I would say Blue Chips probably be my favorite basketball. That's there come up a I few agree. times. I agree and, with you there. And every time that. that comes up, I'm like, that is a good, that's a great movie. Like, or so White Man Can't Jump is always good as well. <laughs> good one. Classic. I still, can't, I still can't show my son that movie, though. So we, we got to wait a couple yeah. years. Got to yeah, wait a little bit. Just don't, let him, don't let him do that move. That's <laughs> um, all right. Two more, Coach. We'll get you out of here. Um, Adam and I would love to come up, catch a game at some point when we get up into Duluth uh, before we head over to the stadium. Where do we got to go to eat and get, get something good before we come to the stadium? Great question. You go down to Canal Park. Uh, Canal Park Brewery is down there. Grandma's is kind of the um, iconic place down there. You get down there by the water. They've got the big lift bridge down there. Uh, it doesn't get much better than being in Canal Park. Uh, it's better in the summer than the winter, but uh, in the winter, we'll make sure we take care of you. Yeah, we can, we can, we can handle it. We can handle both at least uh, yeah. for a weekend. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, coach, uh, last one, we'll get you out of here. What's, what's the best thing about having the opportunity uh, to be, to be a head basketball coach? Yeah, I think it's just uh, being able to impact uh, lives of our players. Um, I love being the head coach, love kind of being the, being the guy that they all go to um, kind of run our own program. I think you kind of have your own balance with your own life and family as well. But um, I feel blessed every day to walk into that office and, and lead this program. It's a very, uh, it is, it's a program with a ton of history, some really good coaches and players have been through here. Um, so to be able to lead the program and, and kind of lead it to new heights here these last four years, um, feel super blessed to, to be in this position. Well, coach, we wish you uh, the absolute best of luck. As we said earlier, we're excited to follow the journey, the young awesome. guys that you have and the program that you've built there. And so uh, it'll definitely be fun to, fun to continue to watch. We appreciate you taking some time for us, sharing some insights, sharing your story. Um, I think that there'll be a lot of really, really great nuggets. And uh, again, thanks a lot. Awesome. You guys do a great job. I lo love listening to you. Um, so, I, so I really appreciate you reaching out and, 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 and having me on. Yeah, we appreciate it, Coach. Uh, I was thinking before this, uh, you know, when when's the last time that maybe you and I had interacted, and it, and it had to be in North Liberty Primetime League, I would guess. <laughs> man, so, those are the days, man. I tell you prime, what, those are fun. Primetime League was a was was a different ball game, that's for sure. A lot man. of a lot of points, a lot of dunks in those in those in those games. But uh, yeah, uh, as Brian said, we appreciate it. It was it was great to talk to you. Um, looking forward to uh, more successful years here for the Bulldogs coming up. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it.